What's up, everyone? This is episode number 24 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and I just smashed two beefy Fritos burritos, one spicy potato soft taco, and a large Mountain Dew from the fine dining establishment that has yet to sponsor the show. I've got a lot of good hobby-related content on my mind. The weekend is here. My stomach is full, so let's do this thing. As always, I enjoyed responding to you guys on my Instagram and Twitter this week. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Uh, last week, if you guys didn't check out that episode, I talked about the Menendez Brothers Mark Jackson card. I would suggest after this one going back and listening to that. Um, but on my Instagram this week, a listener named Jeremy, he tagged me in a pretty cool post. Um, back in the, he had this card, this graded card, and it was a version of this Mark Jackson card. But back in the 1990s, they used to hand out perforated sheets of trading cards at select NBA games. And some of these were featured in the old Hoop Magazine programs that they used to sell. I know now they give out those little programs, but you actually used to have to buy programs. They were really nice programs, though. Um, Others were larger, and they were handed out at the gate as a giveaway. Some of these were labeled as Hoops Team Night or Fleer Team Night, depending on the brand depicted. Um, I've also seen them referred to as Game Night Sheets. Those of you that collect oddball cards or those of you that are player collectors or even team collectors because the sheets were by team, you know that tracking these down can be a pain. Um, I knew about these sets, but I didn't even think to look for the Jackson on a Knicks set. So this listener, Jeremy, he not only had the Jackson, um, he had the graded copy, which was really cool. And in my mind, you know, that adds a couple of levels of rarity to the card. One for being the perforated team set version and two for being graded. Well, um, he tagged me in it. I messaged him about it and he had another raw copy of the card. He was nice enough to trade that to me. I got that in the mail this week. I posted it on my Instagram. You've got to check that thing out. Um, and, And buying that on eBay would have been one thing, which, by the way, I didn't see any there at the time when I checked, but being able to chat about the card and to trade for it as a result of the episode I did, that was just really cool to me and it adds to a story, it adds a story to a card that um, I wouldn't have had otherwise. So thanks again, Jeremy. I enjoyed chatting and it's a great addition to my collection. I also want to give a quick shout out. I know I already did on Instagram already. I got an awesome Pacers care package from Chris at the House of Jordans podcast. I know we've spoken already, but I want to thank you again. Um, All right, on to the main event. And if you've been with me for a while, you might remember an episode I did, which was episode 10, which was called Patch 101. Uh, On that episode, I talked about the history of of basketball memorabilia cards. And those that listen or those of you that see my post on the message boards or social media, you know that patches are, they're kind of my thing. And as you saw with the RPA trackers I I made, even for cards that I don't own. I just like studying patches and I like looking at patterns and I like seeing kind of how everything fits together. Well, um, in addition to them being a a piece of history or them being little, you know, unique pieces of art, there's another reason why they appeal to me so much more than autographs. And while I don't have access to all players, I've always felt like I could, in theory, obtain a player's autograph, you know, either through the mail or in person. 
and I really can't do that with patches. But autos, you know, I feel like I can get those. It's not always easy, and at times it's a bit of a wild ride, but I can get them. So for today's episode, I want to go into a little bit of a deep dive into a time in my life where, at least from a basketball perspective, the stars aligned. And I had close access to an NBA arena, and I did quite a bit of graphing. And that's that's kind of the vernacular that people that get autographs use. They call it graphing. Um, and I referenced this time a little bit in my 1972-73 Tops episode, but today I want to talk about some of the logistics of graphing an NBA team, some of my successes, some of my failures, and then some thoughts that will wrap everything up at the end. So I feel like it's best to start with my intro to autographing. And, you know, like some of you, I'm I'm sure I got a few things signed when I was growing up. Um, I talked about it in one of my episodes. I think it was the Why I Collect episode where one of my most memorable experiences was getting Rick Smith's autograph. But I didn't really become serious about this autographing hobby until probably 2006. And I actually started not with basketball, but with minor league baseball and spring training because I lived in Florida at the time and I'm, I'm back in Florida now. And that's what I had good access to. There's baseball all over the place. And I remember, you know, I had been going to games for a little while. And I remember the night that I decided I wanted to make this a thing. And there was a major league player named Dimitri Young that was rehabbing an injury with my local team. Um, You know, it turns out Dimitri Young is actually a a collector of cards. Or he he was at one point a pretty big collector. Um, So I had an old foul ball that I had brought from a previous game. And he signed it. You know, it would. I there weren't a lot of people there. It was a great experience. It was pretty easy, and I was hooked. And so I've been doing baseball autographs on and off for over a dozen years now. I've scaled back quite a bit because that's not as enjoyable as it used to be. But if this was a baseball card podcast, I would probably have 20 or 30 episodes worth of content on those experiences alone. A lot of crazy stuff has happened. Basketball. On the other hand, um, at the time, and you know, after 2006, was maybe once a year that I could autograph basketball games, um, and that'd be at the arena when the Pacers came to town. I just, you know, I lived over an hour away from Orlando. Um, the tickets were expensive. I just didn't have the access like I did with baseball. Well, that all changed in 2011 when I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, for a few years, and leading up to this. When I knew I was going to move, I I knew I would have some basketball access. I'd actually visited Charlotte before that. I'd been to a Pacers game in Charlotte. So I kind of knew how the where the sections were and everything. And I'd I'd started sorting a combination of cards that I had stored and then I was picking up current cards. And that's that really helped propelled me back into the hobby even more. Um, I know I bought a lot of 2010-2011 Donruss Blasters. I really liked the set. And as the years passed, I also liked the when Hoops came back in 2011 in the lockout shortened season and then 2012 Hoops. I really liked that set as well. And those were great for autographs. You guys also know that I've had quite a bit of an affinity for Topps Total. A lot of those sets were great for some of the more obscure players and coaches. Um, for instance, when Ron Adams was an assistant coach for the Bulls, which he's now with the Warriors, I had a card of him. And I called him over and he thought I was crazy. And, and he um, he joked that the profit from that card, if I were to sell it, wouldn't even buy a cup of coffee. But 
Um, he was a real nice guy. He asked me where I was from. You know, I told him that I was originally from around Lebanon, Indiana. He knew that Rick Mount was from there. Um, Rick Mount's really big in the state of Indiana, but not necessarily big outside of that. So it, it was just really interesting that that tops total card created that opportunity. And sometimes the more that I did this, I found that cards functioned more as a gateway and having an actual interaction was better. And I could go and I still have that Ron Adams card somewhere and I could dig it out, but it's much easier for me to recall that story. And that story really means more to me than anything. Um, So I went out of my way to get cards of these kind of guys, especially assistant coaches, former players that traveled with the team, uh, former players that did radio or TV. But I still needed stuff for the younger guys. So in this 2012 time frame was probably when I busted the most wax I've ever busted, and I have autographing to thank for that. It was a combination. At the time, I had a great card shop close by, and then I could get the non-hits, so to speak, of the box signed. And in my mind, I could justify taking a significant loss on a box as long as I could get some of the cards signed later on. Um, you would think then, wow, you know, that was a great year to bust a lot of product, 2012. Yes and no. Um, Autographing was also the reason why I only busted one box of 2012 Prism and just a mini box of Select because Chrome cards don't typically take a signature very well. You have to prep them. And this involves either rubbing them with like a white polymer eraser or rubbing baby powder on them neither of which I enjoyed doing. So instead of buying all these nice-looking glossy cards, you know, it was just very time-consuming. I tried to stick to some of the other sets like Hoops and Past and Present. And this was before Panini came out with Panini Complete, which is a thinner, cheaper version of Topps Total. I would imagine if you do autographing now, that would have been a great set to pick up. They only did it for two years. I don't know if they're going to bring it back or not. Um... So anyway, when I started in Charlotte, uh, I, I figured I would just grab a ticket to a game and go to the tunnel as I had before. I think I ended up with a, I went to a preseason game, then I ended up buying a five-game package. Um, I was kind of navigating this alone at the start. I didn't know any of the other autographers there, but I had done enough baseball and basketball that I figured I could find my way around, and I did, and it was exciting. And I got to go to about 10 or 12 games my first season there, which was 2011-2012. So that was the lockout shortened season. So um, really, above all else, I love basketball. It granted me the ability to be close to the game, even if my seats were way back come game time. And and sometimes they were. One time I, I actually sat on the very last row of the arena. But for me, it was all about just getting there and being there. So... I started to get into this routine where I would um, get on the blue line, drop, get dropped off at the arena. The blue line was like a train in Charlotte. Get dropped off at the arena, um, make sure I was there ahead of time to do autographs pregame. I would enjoy the game and then ride the blue line home, kind of sort my cards. And when I get home, I would post my successes on the autograph. Um, some of the online autograph forums I was a part of. And I had done this with baseball in the past, so that was nothing new. And and I started slowly networking with other basketball autograph collectors. Um, so then 
things started to get even better. Like I said earlier, it's like the, the stars aligned. So the Bobcats were so bad during this time frame that they did this insane ticket promo where I ended up getting a pair of season tickets in the upper bowl and, and they were the center part of the upper bowl. So they were good upper bowl tickets for $190 total. And it was always a dream of mine to have NBA season tickets. So that's always going to be a special memory for me. Remember, it's $190 total. Well, I sold my Lakers tickets for $145. I sold my Thunder tickets for $90. So this was a pure money maker. And I fulfilled something from my bucket list. Um, as an added bonus then, because they were season tickets, it got me into the arena 30 minutes earlier, which added to my overall access to players. So this was, it was just an awesome situation I'll never find myself in again, and I'm thankful for that. Um, it wasn't long after that that I got talking with someone, and he convinced me to start autographing at the hotel before the game, which was about two to three blocks from the arena. At first, I, I felt kind of weird about it, but um, once I got there and, and kind of looked at the logistics of it and, and looked at, you know, I didn't feel like it was really a, a violation of personal boundaries with the way it was set up, so I was comfortable with it. I felt like, you know, it was something that the players were okay with as well. Um, so this hotel was, was very close to the, to the arena, like I said, two to three blocks. Um, the players kind of shuttled from there to the arena and I could cover everything on foot without having to drive all around the city. So after he explained it to me, after I kind of walked through it once, it sounded, it was an amazing opportunity and and it really was. Um, So I did the hotel and that was great. If I remember correctly for a seven o'clock game, and now it was definitely a time commitment. Um, I would get there around four o'clock. So it made for a long evening, but I'd get there around four o'clock Uh, Players would wander in and out. You know, you kind of respect their space. They usually have an area that you, you know, you can't cross certain lines. And everyone was always very respectful of that. Um, So the players would wander in and out. Teams would usually run two or three buses to the arena. The first bus was typically the radio people, the commentators, and the rookies. Because the rookies would go there to do kind of extended workouts with some of the coaches and more specialized workouts. Um, the, the second bus, usually teams had two or three, the second, and then if they had a third bus, were usually your more veteran players who just went for just a regular shoot around. Um, I think that those bus buses left around five fifteen or five thirty. So, uh, you know, my first hotel experience was pretty good. Um, but then at the end of my first or second hotel experience, it, it was a really kind of a strange situation. One of the head graphers. Uh, of this area and I know he was a, a collector of UNC stuff but he also had people working for him like he had this whole ring there it's the it's there's another part of that hobby that's you know there's just clicks of people and there's like ringleaders and stuff and it's all kind of weird but um, so this guy he turned to me first thing he ever said to me he never acknowledged me before this and we'd been around one another in the arena but the first thing he ever said to me, he issued a stern warning that I better not ruin the hotel by posting my results online. And just kind of looked at him like, are you serious? Because, you know, I thought this was ridiculous. The fact that he knew about them, uh, the results online, and he read them and he benefited from them, you know, but now he doesn't want to actually be a part of that. And I understand that he wanted to keep the process under wraps, but... 
that's not the way I roll. So um, it was the communal aspect that that helped. So let's say if the Pistons were coming into town next month, I would look at somebody in another city that had posted results from the Pistons. So I wanted to at least do my part. You know, um, I don't feel right just consuming, consuming, consuming content and information if I also have the knowledge and capability to contribute myself. So I kept posting results. I didn't, you know, I don't, he wasn't, it's not like he was going to off take a hit out on me or something. So, um, I didn't always specify where they came from for the hotel or the arena. You know, I'm not trying to ruffle feathers, but I wanted to help people out in other cities who had helped me. So anyway, that was at the end of the hotel experience one time. And, and typically once the last bus rolls out from the hotel, we would all kind of walk as a group the couple of blocks to the arena. We'd grab a spot in line where we could try and get players again on the inside. So this works out well because it basically gives you multiple attempts at a player. Some players will only sign at the hotel. Some will only sign at the arena. Some will sign anywhere. But this gives you the, the best chance to get them at some point. Um, if you get really serious about things, there's another level to this. And this is one that I typically didn't go for. I think I only tried this once with the Knicks because I was trying to get Carmelo, but he didn't travel or something strange happened. But you can track a team's flight. So let's say they have a game in Memphis and then the next night they have a game in Charlotte. So you look at when that game ends in Memphis, which would probably be around 9.30 or 10.30, you look at flights that leave Memphis and go to Charlotte late that night and that typically tells you when they're going to get in and you know they all stay at around the same hotel so in theory when the bus drops them off at the hotel you could get them at the hotel late night um you know the players when the knicks were there the players signed they didn't seem to have a a problem with it um it wasn't something that i really wanted to to do i you know i was already putting enough of a time commitment in um all right so enough of the logistics I'm sure you guys are ready to hear some some war stories. Um, I found out early on in autographing that if you want to go for quantity, you could really load up on some of the worst teams in the league. And for me, those were fun nights because if you come away with a stack of you know 15 or 20 cards signed, that was an awesome night. Usually you didn't get that many, um, but that would make it a really awesome night. So I'd go for some of the bad teams um, like the Suns. We're, we're always bad. They still are. The Knicks, even though they were pretty good in this time frame, um, they had a lot of good signers. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about how much of a knucklehead J.R. Smith is. Well, he was always super cool to us. Or you've heard a lot of stuff in the, in the last year about how grumpy Kyrie Irving was in Boston. Well, he was always super cool with us. You know, I think I got his autograph once or twice. Um, thinking about some of the big teams now or the big teams of, of recent times, my schedule never allowed me to autograph the Warriors, which was unfortunate. They were kind of an up-and-coming team at this time. Steph wasn't at his peak, but he was becoming a star. Um, you know, I'd always heard he was a good signer. I didn't get him at a game. I did, however, get him at a, a signing at a Foot Locker. They did an event with Under Armour there in Charlotte, which was pretty cool. And um, the rules were no selfies, although Steph didn't seem to mind. So I, I jumped in and I snapped one real quick. Of course, it ended up being super blurry. So it's like it's not like something I would frame at the house. And he, he even looked up for the picture, but it's blurry. But it's him, and I still have that picture. I'll probably throw that on my Instagram this week just for kicks. 
Um, you'll hear stories from places where sometimes autographers have to get real creative to get places. Um, but then other times I found that all you had to do was really just start a conversation with the people that had access and then tell them explicitly, you know, what you're trying to do. So, um, I know one example with Charlotte, um, Tyrus Thomas was warming up on the court. So, and I wouldn't do this with huge name players. Tyrus is a perfect example. Um, I had never gotten Tyrus at the time. I wanted to get something signed by him. They told us autograph time was over. I kind of sat and waited quietly. I started talking with the usher and finally I just said, look, you know, I really like this player. Um, if you'll allow me to, I'd love to just sit here and not bother anyone. But when he comes over, I ask him and, you know, if he wants to, he can sign. And it turns out the usher was okay with that. So occasionally you could kind of talk your way into something where um, access was cut off. And that's not to say it'll work in every situation. Um, and in fact, that's not the way it worked when... I spotted Hubie Brown at the arena one time. Now, this was a big deal for several reasons. Number one, the Bobcats did not have national TV games. Um, Hubie was there because the Heat were there and LeBron was there, so that was their one national game. And another thing is I just admire Hubie Brown. Um, I've always you know, absorbed everything I can that he's written or that every, you know, video or interview I see with him. And that's a basketball mind that I really wanted to, you know, just pick personally, um, if I could. So I, I see he's on the floor. He's, he's not really busy, but I know he's down there with ESPN. So I did the same thing. I said to the usher, you know, Hey, um, I'd like to speak to Hubie real quick. And, of course, they said, well, do you know Hubie? I said, well, you know, not really. Um, I know of him. You know, I I'm just really like to talk to him. So one usher says no. So I go to another section because, listen, I, this would probably be, and, and it is so far, it's the only time I've ever seen or been close to Hubie Brown. So I go to another section kind of the, the ushers kind of eyeing me like don't try anything here. So I called out to Hubie. And basically said like, hey, can I get a picture with you? Or, you know, hey, can I talk to you real quick? And he waved me over. So that was kind of my way of, of evading um, the ushers there. Because once he called me over, his word trumps theirs. So um, it was awesome. He was super nice. We chatted for maybe five minutes. It went by super quick, though. But um, we talked about Dr. J. We talked about you know, Pacers legend and Hall of Famer George McGinnis. I probably mentioned this in my 1972 episode, but um, we talked about those two players, and he said, if I were trying to win one game, I would take Dr. J. But if I want to win a three-game series, I would take George McGinnis. And it's these types of conversations. This is the reason why I really pushed through and I wanted to speak with him. Um, they're really important to me because there's only so much game film from that era. And I consider myself, you know, just a, a novice historian of the game, though. But I, I love reading about the past, learning about the past. And I want, you know, I want to get close to the people that were there at that time. So Hubie Brown is, is a prime example of that. And this conversation all came to be because of my autographing habit. You know, I wouldn't have been in that situation otherwise. And I kind of used that to get access to a person. So I carried with me a little five by seven of the Kentucky Colonels, which was a team that he coached. So that way I could kind of use that if I had to as well. So autographing did that for me. 
Um, so this was probably my favorite NBA experience of that whole time. It's something that I'll never forget. Um, I ended up getting a picture with him as well. Uh, another interesting experience was um, I had a friend who had basically better season tickets than I did. So he, you know, I had just the baseline level. I didn't get any of the perks or anything. Well, this friend had, um, he had much better season tickets than I did. So he'd worked out something with his rep to where after the game, he would get a meet and greet with some of the players. And he kind of negotiated with his rep. He said, hey, you know, can I bring a friend with me? So they let him. Um, the only condition was I, I had to help him get some stuff signed by Kimball Walker, which was fine, you know, because I wouldn't even be in that situation anyway. So I gladly made that trade. So um, they kind of corralled a, a group of us together. I don't know, it's probably 15 or 20 of us together. And they put us in this freight elevator in the arena. And so then they they dropped us down and we went to this lower level. I was somewhere outside of the locker room. You know, I didn't really have any concept of where exactly it was once we got in that elevator. But um, it was really cool because I had never been in this part of an arena. And not only that, you know, we looked to our left 10 or 20 yards away and there was Michael Jordan and his entourage walking by. And as you can imagine, Jordan was very difficult to even get close to. And that was as close as I ever got to him. I've talked to other graphers in the area that have even run into him, you know, pretty much one-on-one and they were shut out. I think in several years there, I didn't even meet three people who had got him to sign something. So um, that was just a really cool experience. Some of the players came out. Paul Silas, I, I mentioned this in my 72 episode, he had been kicked out of that game. He came out, he was laughing with us about what he had said to the refs. So that was a really great experience. Once again, that came to be just because of autographing. Um, now, even though I was located in Charlotte at the time, on rare occasion, I did take the show on the road because Atlanta was only a four-hour trip from Charlotte. Um, so, and, and this was typical even when I was at Charlotte, but especially when I went to a new arena. And I do the same thing with baseball. When I go to a new park, one of my first moves is to scan the area to see what's going on and who's there. If you see people congregating in an area, you know, it looks like something's happening there, try to get close. You know, if you see someone you recognize that you want to talk to, try and get close. Always position yourself in a situation to get what you want. Doesn't mean you're going to get it, but at least give yourself the opportunity as much as you can. And then hopefully kind of fate and situations will work everything else out after that. So um, in Atlanta, uh, Former Pacer Antonio Davis was there for NBA TV. I got to take a picture with him and talk with him. That was awesome. But the real big one, and there weren't many people in the arena at this time, but I noticed that David Stern was there, who at the time was the commissioner of the NBA, and he was talking to some people on the floor. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, when am I ever going to run into an NBA commissioner again? And I had actually gotten his autograph in the mail already. And so I figured, you know, this time I'm going to ask for a picture instead of an autograph just to see, you know, if he'll do it. I think that'd be pretty cool to have a picture with him. So I positioned myself kind of in the arena by the tunnel because that's that's an exit point. You know, there's only so many places they can go in and out when they're on that floor. So he came over to the tunnel. You know, I said, hey, Mr. Stern, um, can I get a picture with you real quick? And he was like, yeah, sure. You know, come on down. I gave my phone to his assistant. Well, 
I don't know, she got her finger in the lens or she was shaking the camera or whatever. So I now have a blurry picture with Steph Curry and I have a really blurry picture with David Stern. Um, yeah, so I was kind of disappointed with that, but whatever. At this point, I, I t- it, was, it was still an awesome experience. And he was, you know, said, well, thank you for being a fan. And, you know, he walked off. Um, at this point, I told myself, all right, I'm just going to start taking video instead of pictures. And then I'll just screen cap it later if I have to. Um, it sounds like a good strategy. But I, in, in baseball-related news, I have a blurry picture with Aaron Judge. That shows I didn't stick with that strategy long enough. Um, anyway, I'm sure I'll think of some other good stories in the future, success stories in the future. I still consider that a success with David Stern, despite the blurry picture. But those are the ones that immediately stuck out to me. Um, on the other hand, though, there were times where things balanced out and things didn't work out great. And the memories of those are, are good, and it's fun to look back on them in, in retrospect. But with the successes came the failure stories as well. Uh, on the most basic level, there were always certain players or people that just refused to sign. And I'm not in the mindset you know, that they owe me anything. I've been around people that say, well, we pay their salaries. You know, They should be signing for us and doing whatever for us. No, they're paid to play basketball. And I've always kept that mentality. So I don't feel like I'm owed anything. Anything I get is a courtesy and, and I'm thankful for it. Um, but there were some people that just refused to sign for whatever reason. And that's their choice. Patrick Ewing for years, even with card companies for a while, um, he was notorious for not touching a pen. And in fact, he was an assistant coach at the time with the Bobcats. The most I ever got out of him was a fist bump on my binder. So I would, I would, I knew he wasn't going to sign. I'd still hold the binder out anyway. And he fist pumped, he fist bumped it one time. Um, I had multiple instances where a player would just miss a card, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not. I, you know, you couldn't really tell someone's motives. Um, Rajon Rondo was a very tough autograph. This was when he was still with Boston. He was jumping back and forth from side to side. So you really just had to kind of try and get yourself in a good spot and luck into that one. Um, Because typically players will just stick to one side. So he was bouncing back and forth. Well, I had a page with three different Rondo cards on it ready for him. Not that I expected him to sign three. But that way, you know, he definitely sees somewhere with him on it that he can sign. Well, he signs in the middle of all of them. So I had Rondo on a, a page in my binder, um, which you know was still a success, but it wasn't on the card, and that was kind of my goal at the time. So that was kind of bittersweet. Um, and a lot of the times, you just can't get to a guy. So take a guy like Derrick Rose, who was rehabbing one of several injuries in this year, and he was actually a pretty good signer if you could get to be one of the first so many people, you know, five or eight people or whatever. He always hits so many people before he'd move on. Um, so I just couldn't get close enough to him. And no matter, you know, when I when the Bulls came into town a couple times, I tried. I just couldn't get in the right spot at the right time. So that was one that, you know, I was kind of bummed out about. In fact, I had to settle for one of the younger guys on the team instead, um, which ended up being a first or second year guy named Jimmy Butler. So... I guess in the long run, that one worked out okay. Um, In another instance, though, you know, I talked about getting to the right spot in the arena. 
In another instance, even getting to the arena was a little chaotic. I mentioned that I rode the Blue Line train um, in order to get to the arena. It, it was just easier. I didn't have to pay to park. It let me off right by the arena. So it, it was always very convenient. So one night the Pacers were in town. So I even left extra early because I, you know, I want to give myself every opportunity to get something Pacers if possible. So I'm riding the Blue Line. I don't know, you know, we were maybe halfway there, maybe three quarters of the way to the arena, and all of a sudden it stops. And there's an announcement that comes on the intercom and says there's a fire on the tracks. We have to evacuate the train. Okay, you know, we all looked out the window. There was no fire, but obviously the train wasn't going anywhere from there, so we just had to get out, and we had to start walking. And it was the Pacers, so I had to get there on time. I was determined. So I just looked toward the direction of the arena and I started walking and I didn't get too far before a cop stopped me and said you know I could have you arrested for walking on these tracks and once again you know I I really I wasn't doing anything malicious I wasn't being rude um I just said you know sir the the train just stopped and kind of ditched us you know where am I supposed to go so you know I got my talking to or whatever fine thank you you know please direct me in the right way and, and I ended up having to go for a really long walk. So I missed all of the buses at the hotel that night, and I headed straight to the arena. So I met up with a friend, and we made our way inside. As I'm walking down to the tunnel, I see that Larry Bird is signing on the Pacers side because he was an executive with the team. And I've never got Larry Bird before, so I was so excited. There wasn't a huge crowd there. Um, I get down to that group of people. And one or two people before me in line, he says, okay, guys, I got to go. So, you know, I still never got Larry Bird. I, I was crushed. You know, I would have been there in, in plenty of time had it not been for the mysterious fire that I never saw on the tracks. So, you know, that's life sometimes. You're just going to miss out on stuff. But that one still doesn't sting as much as the next story and for several reasons. The main one being, you know, I couldn't control the train. I couldn't control outside elements. So I'm not going to beat myself up over that one. Um, This next incident I think about still maybe once per week, which sounds kind of goofy, but for some reason it just always comes to my mind. I can't see myself ever topping this autograph blunder. And to be honest, I don't even want to talk about it, but it happened and I need to talk about it. So... One night, the Heat were in town. You can probably see where this is going. Um, The Heat were in town. The hotel was a lot more packed than usual. The only person I got there was Mario Chalmers. You know, at least I got somebody. That's kind of what I was thinking. I get to the arena. I go to the season ticket holder entrance. For some reason, they're letting us in even earlier, which was a shock. You know, I wasn't ready for that. But I'm like, okay, this, this could be really good. I grab my stuff made my way to the to the tunnel steps. I'm going down the section steps and I see Dwayne Wade and LeBron James walking off the court at the same time. You know, usually we aren't even in the arena when they're done warming up. Um, not very many people are there at the time, maybe 10 kids max, you know, a few adults, but it's mainly kids. And I see both guys come over and I've told this story to people that I know before and they don't believe it because LeBron just doesn't sign stuff. He, that's just not, you know, he, he gets paid a lot of money by Upper Deck. He's not going to spend a lot of time signing autographs for free and especially signing stuff that could be resold. That's just not his thing. So anyway, 
Dwayne Wade's first, and I managed to, you know, I'm, I'm fumbling around with my stuff because I'm just getting there. I just got in the arena. So I fumbled around in my bag. I got a card of him, even though I had everything in order, you know, it took me a while. I got a card for him to sign. He signs it for me. LeBron is next, and LeBron actually gets in front of me and stops. And like, you know, typical for somebody that's going to sign an autograph. I can't find my LeBron stuff which I had it in alphabetical order. I had it all in the binder. I was prepared as I could be. You know, I was a veteran at this by now. By the time I found it, he had shrugged and moved on. Um, You know, it was probably three or four seconds that he stood there, um, but it seemed like three or four minutes to me. It's just in retrospect, you know, everyone says, well, you should have done this or you should have done this. Yes, I know. I should have taken a picture. I should have got him to sign the actual binder or a piece of paper. Or something, but I was dead set on getting this hoops card that I wanted signed, and I messed the entire thing up. And I know I've already gone on and on about how great it is to have a story, and how that's you know better than a card sometimes. But um, I really would have liked to have had a signed LeBron card for my collection. But anyway, that was my biggest autograph failure. Um, there were some other occasions where. I didn't necessarily experience a big failure, but maybe there were some bizarre things that happened. Um, I remember one time, I think he was with probably Orlando at the time, where Big Baby walked out of the hotel. He looked at us. There's a group at us. He screamed at someone instantly for no reason, and he boarded the bus. And he just kind of, he had those crazy eyes. And it was kind of jarring at the time, but it's actually pretty funny to, to think back on it. Um, he was a tough autograph too. I don't know if it was that day or not, but I ended up getting him in the arena at some point. Um, another weird dude was Andrew Bynum. And by this point he was with either Cleveland or I think he was with, actually he was with Philly at this time. And, um, the things, the way things were set up, the players would walk by us. They would come out of the hotel. They would walk by us on the way to the bus, you know, it was parked on the curb. Um, but we had to stand behind a certain point. Uh, sometimes with autographing, there are actual physical barriers. Other times, there's just spots that we're assigned to. So the players would walk by you, and they still had to approach you a little bit to sign. So we tried to call Andrew over. Um, he looked at us out of the corner of his eye, and he veered towards us, which that's the standard sign for get your stuff ready. Um, I've come over to sign for you. So all indications were there he was going to sign, but he never said a word. And at the last second, he changed his course and walked straight onto the bus. And there's there's really no reason to do that. And I mean, I guess, you know, he's just messing with people or he's entertaining himself because there was a, a more direct route. And, you know, I wasn't mad about it. It was just kind of bizarre. You know, like if you're not going to sign, that's fine. Just don't, you know, mess with people. Um, but I've been autographing long enough that I've seen plenty of athletes Another thing they'll they'll do is they'll personalize cards for one reason or another. Usually it's because they don't want people to profit off of them. And personalizing is just where they ask you for your name and they you know they'll put to Kyle from so and so. Okay, um, which you know for me it's for my collection, so whatever. Um, if it's like a glossy photo or or you know a glossy item, most autographers they know how to use rubbing alcohol to remove the personalization anyway. So it's not a huge deal if a player personalizes. The smarter players would, and some of the bigger name players knew to do this, they would loop their personalization into the autograph to make it difficult to remove. So I always thought that was kind of interesting. Um, But the one that made me laugh the most was Ben Hansborough. 
If you don't know Ben Hansborough, maybe you know the last name. It was Tyler's little brother, and he had a short run with the Pacers as well. And as it turned out, both of the Hansborough brothers were a little weird around crowds. Well, one time I saw Ben heading to a bus, and someone approached him. You know, I'm sure they just asked for an autograph, and he yelled out, Personalize! And we we were all just stunned. Ben Hansborough is is insist not just you know asking hey who do I sign this to just personalize God forbid somebody make 50 cents off of a Ben Hansborough autograph um speaking of Pacers here I got one more story for you it involves Roy Hibbert and before I tell this story I want to give Roy Heb- Roy credit um he didn't always sign on the road but usually if you were wearing Pacers gear he would sign your stuff and then everyone that everyone else that wasn't would get shut out. So, of course, I was always in Pacers gear, so kudos to Roy for that. Well, I was a big Roy Hibbert fan, and on this occasion, I was actually wearing his jersey. It doesn't mean I'm entitled to anything from him, but I just, you know, I thought the whole situation was bizarre. So similar to previous times, he skipped some of the other people. He came to me. I had a card sitting on top of a white binder, and he started signing the cover of the binder. So I, I pulled the card away, and I said, hey, you know, hey, Roy, you know, actually, could you sign the card, please? So he then picked up where he left off signing my binder. So thanks for the autograph, Roy, I guess. He was kind of a weird dude. So um, I could probably go on and on, but for time's sake, that's where I'm going to stop things. Um, that's just a small glimpse of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I would say there was more good than anything. Even the bad stuff makes for a funny story. And, and like I alluded to earlier, I probably get more out of that anyway, unless it's a LeBron autograph. But there's something very, for lack of a better word, mystical about a good story and being able to share a unique experience with others. And it also gives you a little different perspective when it comes to um, authenticating items and pack pulled autographs. So about a month ago, someone posted a Dominique Wilkins autograph on a Facebook group and they asked for people's opinions on it. Um, I felt like it was probably fake before I could even comment on it. People had jumped on it with the usual response. Oh, it doesn't look like his certified stuff or, Oh, that doesn't look like his Panini stickers. Well, this is where people need to be careful. Because over the course of several years, Dominique signed, you know, probably four or five different times for me. And I made a compilation of all these signatures and put them side by side. And some of them didn't look good. And they didn't look like one another. But I know they're good because I got them myself. So now you know that it's experience like these that helps me shape the context of some of my current hobby discussions like the auto pin stuff and the Lucas stuff and so on. So anyway, I would encourage everyone that enjoys cards and enjoys collecting to try and make it to an NBA game this year. Um, It will add to your hobby experience, maybe add another dimension or another kind of knowledge base that you didn't have. Um, Go early, watch warm-ups, maybe try and get some cards signed. You're not always going to be successful, but there's something about taking in that experience that gives you um, another connection to some of these teams and some of these players when you open packs. So I hope you enjoyed that. I'll do my best to post some pictures this week for some of those stories on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. I'd love for you guys to tag me in some of your favorite in-person autographs, or maybe you have some experiences that you'd like to tell me about. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. 
hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.